2: starts right now live from the nasdaq market site overlooking new york city's times square i'm melissa lear traders on the desk are tim seymour karen finerman steve Grosso, and guy adami tonight on fast a major moment for the market with earnings the fed trade all weighing on wall street this week meanwhile stocks are stuck in the danger zone Wall Street's biggest bear will explain why he thinks there's more trouble ahead. Plus, it's been a rocky start to the busiest week for earnings, but the chartmaster says there is one unexpected stock that could see a major rally. And we start right there with earnings Armageddon. Caterpillar out with a major miss as the global slowdown takes its latest victim. The stock down 10 percent. And the other implosion, NVIDIA, out with a major warning ahead of its report. The stock getting crushed down 15 percent. The two earnings disasters... Wiping more than $20 billion in market cap off the table, weighing on the broader markets as we roll into the thick of earnings season. Will we see more pain and who might be the next victims to watch? Guy.
3: Yes, you're going to see yes, more, more pain. pain. Absolutely going to see more pain. But the one that I'm watching is McDonald's. And M- McDonald's reports before the bell on Wednesday. Now, as you were saying, a lot of people say Apple, Triple M is obviously in that. But I'm going to look at McDonald's. Why? Because last quarter was a great quarter. U.S. comps were in line. Where they really beat were international comps. I think about 4.2%. Steve was looking for about 2.6%. Question is, this quarter, can they continue that growth overseas? You're obviously seeing a slowdown in Europe. You see what's going on in China. So for me, I think McDonald's is a huge tell this coming Wednesday before the bell.
2: And you think McDonald's will be a tell unlike a Caterpillar or because invid- I feel like well, McDonald's falls in the category of a Starbucks and a Nike, right, which have seen good reports in the face of a slowing Chinese economy.
4: Yeah, and, and, and I would put Starbucks and McDonald's in a place where, you know, defense is is how people have played this market for the last three to six months. And actually, defense comes at a price, and and guys certainly could be right if, if these guys guide headwinds on labor costs, which are right there for them, in terms of global expansion, which uh, China is also a big part of, uh, of their story. It's not as much as China. Um, I think McDonald's also, if you look at the charts, you know, you can make an argument. There's a double top at 190. Uh, I think the issues with companies like these are the, they have been uh, the ones investors have felt the most confident about for the last six to nine months. Um, I think if we look at what happened today, uh, something like Caterpillar is is just another indictment on global cyclicality. I actually think that these numbers from caterpillar were not that bad. Uh, And when they guide somewhere around, you know, 12 and a quarter for next year, this is a stock that's trading at about 11 times earnings, maybe inside of that. And if you put a 14 multiple on this, which many people on the street have had no problem doing in the past, in less growth of an environment, you've got $170 stock. I think you have to be very careful right now with some of these stocks that are getting thrown out the window.
5: It was the biggest hey, quarterly miss. I agree with you. I don't think the numbers were that bad. When you, when you read through it, <laughs> it and you see that headline of it was the biggest quarterly miss since 08. it gets everyone panicky. But when you read through the numbers, I don't think they were terrible on cap, but it makes it impossible to want to buy that space, that sector. It's now the 10th company or so that's war.
2: I mean, the question is, does the valuation reflect what is going to be roughly flat growth for China for the rest of the year? Yeah, I agree with
6: Tim. Totally I think does. it wasn't that bad for a company that doesn't have a super high multiple to miss by, what, was it 50 cents or so? And yet it was down that much. I thought that was a bit of an overreaction. On the flip side, NVIDIA, I thought that was really bad. That was disconcerting to me. I mean, you know, another growth engine of theirs. We knew but they also had an oversupply
5: issue originally. When we look backwards at NVIDIA, they were trying to burn off whatever oversupply they had with that Bitcoin bubble. Right. So that you saw play through. But the gaming, the data the gaming, centers right. and everything else is, is a little I concerning. I mean, the data, data center is extremely it's concerning, tough. right? Yes. I mean, yeah. that's, and
6: that's it's a, still even down this much as it was today. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more downside to come. It is not
2: cheap. I mean, I think that one of the big issues here with NVIDIA is that the CEO gave guidance on this quarter, which is yes. pre-announced just in the middle of november right so the lack of visibility that happened somehow unfolded in the past month sounds kind of like apple so it'll be interesting to hear on the conference call when they do actually report the results uh, in february uh, what the degree of of deterioration they saw was in in the quarter what
3: happened i mean it's Tim mentioned within sixty days that the, the the story changed at apple in a significant way and within thirty five or forty days the same thing in nvidia i think they have Quite frankly, I would think they would have more clarity, but I guess I'm mistaken. And they seem to paint a much different picture back in November than they are now. To Karen's point, though, stock is still not cheap. And now you have to sort of question going forward. You know, they've been given the benefit of the doubt now for the last two years. Do you still give them the benefit of the doubt going forward? Or how much
5: did they know about, and they were expecting it? Either. I'm not saying that they were doing anything... In a nefarious way. But what happens if they did know about it? We're just waiting for it to turn and sort of sat on it. And it's not turning. It's actually turning down. And we're looking at the worst growth numbers out of China
4: for just under 30 years. You, so this is real. Yeah. I, the problem with NVIDIA is I don't think people know how to value this company. This is a company that at times was in the most go-go of spots, whatever we want to call them, Momo, whether it was Bitcoin, whether it was gaming, uh, places where they, they thought there was unbridled growth at whatever price you wanted to pay. And now at 20 times, 22 times, times trailing. It's half of where it was. Um, but I still think at these levels, if you know, RTX and gaming is still a problem for them, I, you know, I don't think we know.
2: So I think we asked the question at the beginning because we want to know if there is an extrapolation to be made with NVIDIA and or CAT on their sectors. I mean, for NVIDIA, is the extrapolation to be made to re-rate the semiconductor sector, which is basically up until the open to today up about 20% from December 24th lows?
3: It's interesting, though, you see the companies that are doing well in the tech, the semis that are doing well are are companies like Lamb Research, like like Xilinx, that are really focused on 5G. Now, NVIDIA, focused on other things, along with Intel, makes you wonder, has the baton been passed? I still think those high flyers like Xilinx and Lamb Research go higher from here. But think to Karen's point, NVIDIA, I think, still has some room in the downside.
6: I think that December 24, it shouldn't have been there. never should have been there. But, I mean, we had a very sharp bounce back. I still think there's some downside here. I, I, the stock is not, I don't it's part go-go, right? So there's the underlying, there's the fundamentals and the go-go-ness of it. How much sort of, you know, short-term momentum money was in it? Is it all gone now? I doubt it. I bet there's and how much of
5: that was positioning on both sides, where people had just had to get rid of it by year end, and then they had to buy it back because it was the most damaged. So a lot of these large cap tech names, or a lot of these niche little spaces, really directed the overall market on a bounce back,
4: into probably running out of gas. I just think that semis were, were the first ones to lead us lower in terms of growth headwinds all the way back in June of last year. They got overdone. I think the good news, and I think you know we have Carter on a little bit. I mean, the charts are very important for some of these extreme momentum names, and I, I would make an argument that the semis bottomed and broke that downtrend at least last week. And there's a lot of Um, charts we can go through. Yeah, And and there's (laughs) many charts I believe Carter's going to have, fortunately. Um, But again, I I, I think that the semis right now have priced in uh, an enormous amount of global
2: cyclicality. So ditto for the industrials. Uh Is there an extrapolation to be made for Caterpillar? Well, I mean, if we look at
6: URI, that's an industrial, entirely North America, not entirely, 90 plus percent North America focused. That was a very, that was a different story. Uh, Um, I don't think Cat North America, well, actually, I'm not sure. Um, I think those are a tale of, potentially a tale of two cities different end markets in some way too.
5: I think, I think when you do look at uh, the industrials, they've had an incredible bounce back. And specifically when you look at Boeing, Boeing got it on the chin today as a peripheral from CAT, but I think there's still more. When you look at the bounces, that more these charts have had more downside okay. that, it, that is possible, depending on what, the, what guidance
4: they're going to give as well. I, I'd just say this about earnings. The S&P overall for this quarter so far is you've had earnings come in about 3%. Industrials have been the steadiest in terms of the eps if you look at where they were six months ago and and i would just say that industrials priced in where they are now a lot earlier and i think there's still a lot of pain for the economy we have right now that's an economy where the u.s is growing two and a half percent and we know that the rest of the world is slowed down substantially europe is probably flat to one percent and we don't know where china is but industrials have that in them now if that changes very different story
2: great
3: I think Boeing on Wednesday, again, before the bell, along with McDonald's, is going to be fascinating. I happen to think Boeing's going to be fine. I think it's a much different story. It's a cash flow story. Valuation is not ridiculous given their EPS growth rate. Yep. So I think Boeing's going to be fine. But I think Boeing is Boeing specific. So I wouldn't say if Boeing beats, I wouldn't take that as a tell for the rest of the space. All right.
2: So what should you buy and sell amid the busiest week of earnings season? Chartmaster Carter Worth looking at some uh, earnings heroes and zeros. And I, I heard <laughs> that you have a record setting number of charts to share with us.
7: We shall see. Let's go quickly, then. Um, First, the S&P. Everyone knows this chart, uh, but sometimes the most obvious things are the things to stare at. We know the peak is exactly 2940, spot 91 on September 21st. We have a three-month decline. It ended on Christmas Eve at 2346, spot 58. Now, if I move this forward, what we also know is that we've had a perfect recovery of exactly 50% of the declining move. You can call it a retracement. You can call it a Fibonacci. But the point is, we've climbed back exactly one half of the preceding move. There it is. That's the 50% level. And it's been here for a week, and it's been stuck. The bull says, can you believe this? We've already climbed back 50%. The bear says, can you believe this? We've already climbed back 50% so quickly, it's way too steep, it's impetuous, not sustainable. Either is a fair interpretation. I'm in the latter camp. I think it struggles here and ultimately fails, and we do test those lows. In terms of a few big stocks, I want to just look at um, what would be, are the two most steady S&P stocks, meaning Apple's big, but it's got idiosyncratic issues. So does Facebook, so does Amazon. These two stocks are literally trading in unison, and they have nothing to do with one another. Visa and Microsoft, two-year chart, almost 100% correlation. Here's a five-year chart exactly the same thing. The issue is they're being treated the same, their ROEs are different, their net income is different, Um, everything about them, and yet this is the behavior of money. These two stocks, I think, will tell us whether the market's going higher or lower. It drops 19 percent and rallies 14. Microsoft, take a look at Visa. It's virtually identical. It drops 20, it rallies 14. And each stock is up against its declining 150-day moving average. In principle, that is not a good position to be in. More often than not, it's the beginning of a top. Take a look at Visa. It's the exact same circumstance. And my bet is both of these are headed lower. Microsoft number one contributor to the down move in the S&P today. Now, it's not all bad, right? There's always something to do. But first, Forget the charts. Look at the fundamentals. There are 40 analysts covering both of these companies. And the 12-month price target of the 40 analysts covering Microsoft and the 40 analysts covering Visa, their 12-month projected return is identical. Are they doing any work? Are they just saying these are great companies and this is what they should grow? The point is, it's the behavior of money. They're in unison. They're identical. Now a stock that I think is okay. Boeing. Guy was just talking about it. I think you can draw the lines this way if you'd like. It's a lot of consolidation. But what's important about this setup is now if I change to relative, as it's been consolidating and doing this, what it's been doing here is it's broken out and already made new highs relative to the S&P. That's an important circumstance. Stock acts well. I like Boeing long for earnings. Microsoft and Visa, the other side. Sell.
2: Come on over, Carter. Shelby will bring the chair in.
3: Epic Carter work. I mean, Welcome Carter. I'm,
2: I'm told that it was. Gummy, oh, gum, gummy, gummy, gummy warm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> big ones. Hey,
8: hey, hey. Uh, uh, uh. Can a, a trap this? was set yeah, for yeah, you. I can <laughs> see that. I have a small piece of it. Um, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. You,
2: when you had the Boeing chart, are you really going to eat that? It's quite large. Yeah, no, really. right. see, I, the size I, this of the gummy is large. Remember um, what happened Carter? Oh,
4: I do not want this to happen, and yet here, here, it's about to happen. All right. The
7: Boeing chart.
2: The Boeing chart. When you drew, when you drew the consolidation, the lines, it looked like it could, it could go down. Well, but sure. that's okay, real so a limited upside. you have a upsider. great run-up uh-huh. and a
7: stock consolidates for two, three years at a high, you can look at it as multiple contraction. The stock is getting cheaper. It keeps growing and growing and ultimately breaks out. The bear would say that's topping out. The relative strength is what's so good. I think this is setting up for something important to the upside.
6: So when you came up with Microsoft and Visa, did you just randomly search for which two big companies are the most tightly correlated? Or nope. how was it that you came about?
7: Just going A to Z. When I got to the M's, I noticed that Microsoft looked as when I was in the V's. I said, that looks a lot like Microsoft. Then I stuck them together and I said, I'll be darned. They are very similar. They're being treated the same, right? I mean, think, the, the, the ROE in, <laughs> in Visa is, is almost double that of Microsoft. Um, the gross margins are different. And yet, it's safety. They're considered very safe reliable businesses, whereas other stocks have issues. These stocks, I think, are very important for the market.
5: So I I share your pessimism in the S&P, and and I'm looking for it to break down as well. So you spoke about the Fibonacci levels or retracement levels. So this becomes that sell zone for for people that are looking at home, 50% to 618, that's your sell zone. So I believe that there will be a retest, and I believe that it will fail. How deep do you think the retest, if you believe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, do you think we're going right. to retest? So,
7: or test the low, right? If you retest, that would be a triple bottom. So do we test low? We have a low. Do we test the low? I think we do test the low. Um, and then good technique argues for buying at that low, making the bet that it will hold. And if and as it doesn't, have the dexterity to flip it around and press a short for a break.
2: Carter, thank you. Thanks guys. Enjoy your gummies. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> che- take you know, with in yeah.
7: you know with I'm taking the rest of it with, yeah, with okay. patience. Nobody
2: <laughs> wants to after favorite. you touch them. Okay, <laughs> <a> so <laughs> Visa and Microsoft, do you agree with Carter on, on his assessment of the charts? A negative I, outlook for them. You know,
3: Microsoft well and Visa, no, and Microsoft, no. I happen to agree with them on Boeing, obviously, because I said it before. I think Microsoft is fine. I think they were able to turn the ship around three or four years ago, so I think they're still riding that wave, and I think they're going to be fine in their earnings. Visa, if you bet against Visa for the last five years, it's been difficult. With that said, I mean, Carter's work is pretty magnificent. I would say one thing about Caterpillar, Pretty though. magnificent? Yeah. Very magnificent. Very right. Or, magnificent. or magnificent. Pretty magnificent. Pretty magnificent
4: doesn't even make sense to me.
3: Magnificent. Thank you. But this is what I took away from Caterpillar. You know, we could we can argue about the quarter was a great quarter wasn't great. Guidance wasn't great. But was it that bad that we saw today in terms of its? Maybe the market is telling us that a deal with China isn't as close as many of us want to believe. Maybe that's what this sell-off today was telling you.
2: Coming up, a storm of negative earnings sweeping through the market. And one of Wall Street's biggest bears says it is about to get even worse. He will explain why he's given up on this 2019 rally. Plus, as the earnings warnings pile up, what do you do if you own one of the companies sounding the alarm? Don't worry, Guy there we will break it down for you. And speaking of earnings trouble, check out Whirlpool getting slammed down about 7% right now after reporting moments ago. We'll give you Wall Street's first reaction to the numbers. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
9: You seek the key.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We have a news alert out of Washington. Eamon Javers is at the White House with the latest. Eamon.
10: Melissa, this one's intriguing. The acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, at an unrelated news conference just a few moments ago, uh, told reporters that the Mueller investigation is close to being completed. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly what he means by that, and we don't know uh, what format the end of the Mueller investigation will take. uh, But it is striking that somebody in the administration, including the the acting attorney general, would suggest that it's getting close to completion. That's the first time we've been given uh, that kind of high-level guidance about where the Mueller investigation is in its process. Now, the end game here is unclear. What we know uh, is that Mueller will write a uh, private report for the Attorney General, uh, and then beyond that, it's not clear exactly what the Attorney General will do with that report. Much depends on what it is that Robert Mueller uh, has found, but the acting attorney general now suggesting that uh, Mueller is close to finishing up his investigation. This on the Monday after the Friday arrest of Roger Stone, one of the president's uh, longtime associates, his arrest and indictment for lies uh, related to uh, his interactions with WikiLeaks, uh, the organization which, of course, put out those stolen DNC emails. So some uh, indication that we might be coming to the end here, but not at all clear, Uh, where we go from here, Melissa.
2: To be clear, though, Eamon, it is up to the acting attorney general as to whether or not he would release the report to the public.
10: Yeah, that's long been the assumption that the uh, acting attorney general or the attorney general, if there is one in place by that point, uh, would make that decision whether to release it to the public, uh, whether to send it to Congress for any congressional action that might he might uh, feel is required. Uh, but we just don't know how that's all going to be handled. And of course, the possibility is uh, that if Mueller indicts uh, further officials for any other uh, misconduct related to the 2016 election, as he's been doing all along, he can use what are called these speaking indictments, indictments that have uh, a lot of detail in them, a lot of narrative about what happened. We learned a lot in the Roger Stone indictments about what happened. Uh, Presumably, uh, Mueller could put nearly uh, all of his findings in indictments of other figures uh, who would be uh, indicted and possibly arrested relating to any misconduct that he's discovered. But no indication that's coming yet. Uh, We'll just have to wait and see.
2: I understand there's some developments as well uh, regarding Michael Cohen?
10: Yeah, we're told that Michael Cohen is going to testify. You remember, the president's former attorney was scheduled to testify uh, and then backed out of it uh, and cited pressure from the president of the United States saying that that's why uh, he was not going to testify up on Capitol Hill. Now uh, we're getting word uh, that Michael Cohen is going to testify at a closed hearing on February 8th at the House Intelligence Committee. So uh, we were expecting a big, visible public testimony from michael cohen uh, one of the key figures in all of this now we're being told uh, it's going to be on february 8th but it will be closed uh, and so there will not be uh, the opportunity for the public to learn a lot about what happened with michael cohen and the president of the united states presumably congress being what it is some of it might leak but it's the house intelligence committee which likes to keep a wrap on things
2: all right amen thank you amen javers reporting live from the white house for us what how do you how do you regard this in terms of the?
5: so I i would think that you go right off right off the bat you go with closure so if you can get any type of closure on some level, that's going to be good for the overall markets. And we have sold down in the overall markets based on these negative headlines, these tape bombs that they're called, right, coming across the tape. You've seen the market sell off. And I think without those, the market should be able to move higher, specifically to this case. I,
4: I, do you think that we've sold off on tape bombs? I, I, though? Yes. I have to say that I think the market doesn't really care. Oh, the, and, 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 the,
5: uh, you know what? And, I'll preface it. Day-to-day, granular, when you see these negative headlines, come across the tape regarding Trump and the the, uh, Mueller case, the market has reacted
6: to it. To me, it's all the market is all about the trade issues. Yeah. And I wonder if we don't know what's going to come out of this. Right. If this really if very high up to the president even is ensnared in this. Right. What does that where does that leave us with trade? Can he, I mean, I well, guess they go forward, right? Continue if, to go forward. If there's a
2: sense that there is some jeopardy involved with whatever is going to happen with either the Mueller report or, or this closed testimony by Michael Cohen, then perhaps a trade deal gets ex I mean, this conspiracy theory, of course, we're talking, but maybe a, a trade deal is, is more imminent. We're well, likely to get done because they are likely it. to get done need the win because you need a win.
4: I mean, what we're saying is that we think the market is more focused. This is a huge week. If you think about we've got a Fed statement, we know they're not going to go, but we're going to have a the Fed statement. We, we've got the press conference. We've got the Chinese apparently coming to the U.S. to start talking on Wednesday. We've got a payroll number on Friday. We've got a ton of macro news that actually will be a real tell in the global economy. I, I don't think that this is moving the needle. Sorry, I, I just don't.
3: Obviously, at all contingent, if this investigation is coming to a close, which I, wouldn't, I don't think any of us have any idea, but what's in the investigation, I think that's to your point. I have, I have no idea if where the guilt lies with anybody, but let's just play it out and say... Look in the mirror, guy. I'm just kidding. That's, that's I, fair. You know I, let's I, play man, it forward quickly, Sarah. Maybe there it. is so, something there. Does that force... President Trump to make a deal. To your point, mm-hmm. but if you're the Chinese, why would you make a deal,
2: knowing that there if might there's be something, something there. there? Interesting. I don't.
3: That's how you yeah. know. That's how you have to game this. Yeah. I think.
2: Shifting gears here, we've got an earnings alert on Whirlpool. That stock is uh, down sharply after its earnings report just moments ago. Let's get to Contessa Brewer, who's been following this for all the details. Contessa? Yeah,
0: Melissa. Whirlpool lowered its guidance for full year earnings per share by nearly a dollar to fourteen to fifteen bucks per share. It expects to generate between eight hundred million to nine hundred million dollars in free cash flow this year. A primary focus here is on cost inflation. It's dealing with these raw materials like steel, aluminum, plastics, resin, and the like, much of which has been affected by tariffs and other cost increases. Customers in North America have seen prices for laundry laundry equipment rise, and sales have softened. Still, Whirlpool says it delivered strong earnings and growth of about 5% in North America. In Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, sales dropped 6.3%. The company has really refocused efforts on technical innovations. It's launching internet-connected machines. It's improved ways to communicate with those machines. It is working to expand margins through improved efficiencies. But there's a real concern here that a slowing global economy is going to drive away any appetite for new appliances. In the United States, the housing market's really creating the worries. Those are two reasons CFRA uh, downgraded Whirlpool from hold to strong sell with a price target of 105. Whirlpool closed today at 124.46. It dropped more than 6% after hours, as you can see, down almost 7% in extended trading, Melissa.
2: All right, Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer back at headquarters. That downgrade was very well-timed. That was just last week ahead of the earnings. But, I mean, do you match this up with what we heard from Sherwin-Williams? Stanley Black and Decker, right, even Masco right. longer ago. And right. they say housing here is threatened. You're in housing stocks. So, so, I'm in housing, you but you don't you
5: don't have the global uh, international exposure. You have, you have domestic. So if there's a slowdown, mm-hmm. I think that's already factored in. That's already priced in with a lot of these names. You don't get that emerging market exposure the way you do with a, with a Whirlpool. Whirlpool, a lot of the tariff game was the what hit them originally with steel.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they they cited the dollar, first of all, which I I don't think was a factor in the fourth quarter, and I don't think it's going to be a factor in the first quarter. If anything, it might be a friend. But again, slower EMEA sales. Again, that's emerging Europe, Middle East, Africa. Uh, Didn't really talk and blame it on China. Uh, Big story for these guys is Latin America. Remember, this stock is now down 45 percent, is near six-year lows, uh, and tells you a little bit about the cyclicality of really where the global economy and their core markets have been, which is nowhere. Um, I, I think frankly, I think slapping a short on this stock at these levels down here is not all that brave. And, you know, I I, I wouldn't be short the stock. All right.
2: For more on earnings and what to expect from the biggest names, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast.
10: Stocks are trapped in the danger
7: zone during what could be the most important week for the market yet. But one top strategist will explain why he sees a light at the end of the tunnel.
3: I am seriously thinking of running for president. Okay,
7: not exactly. But as the former Starbucks CEO considers jumping into the ring, the traders tell you the CEOs they think would make the best president. Much more Fast Money right after this.
10: Every day.
2: Welcome back to passani The S&P 500 stuck in the danger zone, trapped between 2600 and 2650, which is the range the market broke below as it spiraled towards new lows. And despite the runoff those lows, stocks still might not be in the clear. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more. Hey, Bob.
1: Hello, Melissa. The markets have come a long way since bottoming on December 24th. The S&P 500 has recovered almost three quarters of the losses we saw in December. But in the last two weeks, it's had a hard time getting decisively over 26.50 and regaining that last 100 or so points to get us back to those early December highs. Now, there's three things that have shown to be consistently moving markets and earnings perceptions. The first is perceptions that the Fed and other central banks are becoming more dovish, that not only will they not raise rates, but they may also return to stimulus mode if they have to. The second is, of course, hope's. For a positive trade outcome. And finally, is slower global growth. And today, Nvidia and Caterpillar sent a message to the markets that even with the declines in December earnings estimates, the numbers for 2019, the earnings estimates, are still too high. Now remember, more than 40% of earnings in the S&P 500 occur outside of the United States. So when both of these companies talk about slower global growth, it's a big issue, particularly for industrials and for technology. But how much slower is global growth? That's what's hard to figure out. First quarter earnings estimates have already come down dramatically from 8% at the start of October to below 2% today. This is the first quarter. Now, the battleground is now between those who believe earnings will stay low but positive for the full year and those who believe that an earnings recession is likely, that is, two consecutive quarters of negative earnings growth. Now, one positive development. Even as most sectors drooped, banks opened weak and they quickly rallied. The big names, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, a lot of the regionals, like Colmaric and Zions, were all ending in the green today. The bank ETF, the KBE, has rallied even as other sectors have moved sideways in the last week. It is the biggest sector gainer for the month. The KBE is up 15%. It's now sitting at its highest levels since December. So, Melissa, maybe a little rotation going on here into the banks and maybe a little bit out of industrials. Back to you.
2: All right. Thanks, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Our next guest is Wall Street's biggest bear. He says, get used to life right. in the danger zone. Let's welcome back Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities, head of equity strategy. Chris, great to have you back. Great to be back. Uh, nice to see you. Bob, Bob made a number of good points, but I think one of the most salient points that he made in this uh, earnings context is the fact that Even if you don't extrapolate Caterpillar and NVIDIA to the rest of their sectors or the rest of the markets, the earnings report and the guidance really just underscores this notion that perhaps estimates are just too high across the board.
8: And I agree with that. I think estimates are too high. We expect mid-single-digit returns for the S&P 500. We're on the lower end. What we want to see is we want to see companies lower guidance. What we want to see is for the first time in a while, we're really seeing value in a lot of the value stocks. Karen, I think you're probably like a kid in a candy store for the last couple of weeks. Because value companies are really looking interesting to us. And companies with really bad guidance that, that are reacting to the market, we think as we move forward, you can start to step over. it, And that's the real opportunity. But we, we don't want you to rush into it. It's a walk, not run type situation. Lower the guidance. Have the market react, and then we think you can get involved in those names.
2: How do you uh, view what would a, a good buying opportunity entry point be in this market? I mean, are you looking at what are you looking at, a PE? So, are you looking so at we're, level? We're, looking, we're looking at
8: PEs, we're looking at, at is a company buying back stock, we're looking at forward multiples, we're looking at book value, we're looking at a myriad of issues. But really, what we want to see is we want to see where sentiment is just horrific. We want to see the company lower guidance, we want to see the stock down on that guidance, and then we think with all that bad news you can make money going forward because for two reasons one again you're either going to step over lower guidance as we move forward and if things get worse you've already beaten the rush and so every on a relative basis you're going to look a lot better than other companies
6: So looking at some of the things that have really gotten beaten up, that have lowered guidance rate, the stock's gotten killed, like a FedEx or some others in the space. Is that an area you'd want to be in? So
8: we have a model portfolio. What we did last week is we added to some of the industrials, we added to some of the tobacco names, and and that's where we're starting to find value. At the margin, that's where we're rotating. We've been up in quality and down in risk, but slowly but surely we're adding some value and we're adding some, some risk to the portfolio. We want to do it again after the news is out and we think that's a pretty good risk reward.
3: Chris, how do you factor in any potential deal with China on the trade front? That that's all great. If you get something positive, a
8: lot of these beaten up stocks are going to react. What we've seen most of the pain is on, on the consu- not me, not on the consumer side, but on the cyclical side. If you get any positive news out of China, again, the economics won't move, but the stocks will move. And so you're sitting on a situation where you have that to the upside and that's not even baked into to our view.
2: In terms of adding to in- industrials, uh in, in other sectors, where are you taking away from? What are you so, lightening up on?
8: So we've been taking away from so in industrials, we haven't liked transportation, but we have like cap goods. Again, we're doing this rotation. And, and then when you look at some of the uh, technology spaces, we've like software. Uh, we haven't liked semis. Now we're starting to see more and more value in semis, but we're not ready to step, we're starting to line that up. And so we're doing a lot of intra-industry trades, and we're doing a lot of one-off type trades, because some of these situations are very idiosyncratic. And so we think it's more of a a stock picker's market this year than it was last year. Is this the
2: most active that you've been in in this model portfolio? I mean, it sounds (laughs) like a constant.
8: We're we're starting to rotate. the beginning of this year, we had nine buys. We had three sells. We were pretty active this year. And we're starting to rotate. We're seeing the opportunities begin to rotate. Again, you have two years of value underperforming. You had a horrific fourth quarter. We've been saying that value companies have really been a proxy for risk. Now you're seeing value as an opportunity. You have to tread lightly. We want that those expectations to come down. But as we go forward, that's where the value is, and, and that's where the opportunity is.
2: Chris, good to see you. It's
8: good to see you, too. coming by,
2: Chris Harvey. All right, Tim, you're a value investor. Where do you go?
8: Yeah,
4: I, I think Guy's ego is writing checks his body can't cash, uh, yeah, by the see, way. That's yeah, a top thing, FYI. Look, yeah. um, I, I do think that value in the industrial space, I've said this over the last two weeks, two months, um, possibly six months, uh, is more than flagged. In a global environment where we have priced in essentially negative PMIs around the world, this really comes down to is the Fed truly on hold and can we actually get a trade deal soon enough that we can actually still experience some of this late cycle stuff. I feel very comfortable with FedEx. I feel very comfortable with other names that are trading at trough multiples here because, in fact, they're giving us fresh numbers and those are companies I can own.
5: You know, what's really counterintuitive to me is that if we get this deal done with China, we all thought that it's going to be a positive. But by its nature, the U.S. wants to take something from China. Right. That's the whole idea of the of the the trade deal. So at the end of that trade deal, it's got to be more of a negative for China. So counterintuitively, I think that you're going to see China growth actually impeded. Once okay. we get the trade deal done.
6: Let me just push back on that, though. One sure. of the things I think weighing most heavily on this market is the uncertainty of a China deal, right, that we won't get one. And I think that if we are able to have some clarity, even if it's punishing to China and sure. causes some you know, pain there, which ultimately would cause some pain here, taking away that uncertainty, I think, would be such a big positive for the market. No the question. And you sell that up. pop.
2: Still ahead, NVIDIA, just the latest company shocking the street today with a dire earnings warning. But if you're caught in the trade, relax, because Guy will give you his guide to bad guidance. Plus, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz announcing he is seriously considering a run for president in 2020. Is CEO to candidate the new norm? And if so, who do the traders think would fit the ticket? They will reveal their top choices, their top votes. Fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, the first big business heavyweight to consider jumping into the 2020 election. So we've got a new segment for you, and we're calling this the Fast Take, where the traders weigh in on some of the biggest news of the day. So let's take a listen to what Schultz said about his potential presidential run last night on CBS's 60 Minutes.
3: I am seriously thinking of running for president. I will run as a centrist, independent, outside of the two-party system we're living at a most fragile time not only the fact that this president is not qualified to be the president but the fact that both parties are consistently not doing what's necessary on behalf of the American people and are engaged every single day in revenge politics
2: so should Howard Schultz go from the Starbucks corner office to the White House Oval Office and the reaction so far is very interesting because there seems to be some backlash on both sides of the aisle
6: Well, my backlash is the independentness of it. That's terrible I think that is you know, just a terrible dynamic that really could potentially be Counterproductive right? I think that he needs to run. He is a Democrat I think he needs to run as a Democrat otherwise if he really doesn't want Trump to be president, I think that this could Enable him to become president it's by splitting that Trump vote. It's yeah.
3: terrible if you want a Democrat to win. It's fantastic mm-hmm. if you want President Trump to be reelected. And if you look at President, Trump, president Trump's tweet today, basically daring Howard Schultz to get in, I mean, that's, he's baiting him to come in. Not smart enough, doesn't have the guts, those yeah. types of things. It, it would be a windfall for President Trump. If Mr. Schultz ran as an independent.
2: If I'm a shareholder, should I be concerned? Should I be concerned that there could be boycotts from both Republicans and Democrats? And should I be worried that perhaps Howard Schultz could sell some of his stock during this presidential run?
4: I'd be less worried about the capital markets dynamics. I'd be very concerned about a sense that the company is going to do things that are politically correct uh, or politically expedient uh, at the expense of earnings. And, And there's, you know... Starbucks has had plenty of opportunities to digest this posture for the last two years. This is no surprise to anybody that Howard Schultz is doing this. So as a Starbucks shareholder who remains long through uh, what's been a very good run, I- I- I'm not too worried about it.
6: I don't think they'll be political, though. I just think it's a backlash among their customers. Right. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's yeah, what you're yeah. I'm not yeah, worried about him there, selling his stock either. Put in well, $2. Those $2. are two, $2. two, $2. separate
2: questions right. in terms of, you know. I don't think boycotts will do
5: any real damage, though. Rarely do boycotts ever get that long in the tooth and ever really have a result. Downing effect on the stocks. So, I, I don't think that's the major issue here. I think Karen uh, is, it has the biggest issue. You want him to run as a Democrat. All right.
2: So, who would be the best CEO uh, to run for president? We wanted to ask the traders. Each have their own picks. Guy, what's yours?
3: We talk about the company all the time, Lockheed Martin, but Marilyn Houston's been there since 1983, University of Alabama. She went to Columbia Business School, Harvard Business School. She's been CEO of the company, I think. For the last six years, if you think about it, if anybody were to understand government in, her, in that capacity, it would be somebody in the aerospace defense industry. Look at what she's done for that company. Look at some of the deals she's done and sort of look at her background. I think she'd be a perfect choice for President of the United States.
4: Tim? I like Mary Barra. And again, the way she's handled GM, first of all, that that's... Arguably boys club. She's been in the middle of one of the, the most you know, important industries in the world. She's, I think, been a dominant player. She's been a free thinker. She's incredibly well educated. She knows how to run a big business. That's a global reach. She knows to operate in a regulatory environment. She's got an industry that she's had to make some tough decisions uh, about how that decision needs to go forward that are contrary to how they've been successful.
2: Karen. I love both of those two
6: picks, by the way. (laughs) Mine, of course, would be Jamie Dimon. Not just because I love Jamie Dimon, but I actually think Jamie Dimon is a proven leader in the depths of the absolute worst crisis we've seen. He was so far above everyone else, and I think he can work together. When he he does his annual letter, he lays out a lot of things besides just banking, right, Mm -hmm. and the economy. It's a lot broader than that. It's about what does America need to move forward, and how do we work together to get that to happen? Obviously... I think that the stigma of being a bank CEO is still, there, there is still something to that, right? I, I believe he's a Democrat, would run as a Democrat. I think he would be great, that bank stigma, and him saying I'm not going to do it, but you never know.
2: You never know. That would
6: be my choice. Steve.
5: General Dynamics, Phoebe Novakovic. The biggest headwind would be pronouncing the last Last name. (laughs) But the other thing is, you look at the resume. She has a a background with the CIA, the Pentagon, Office of Management and Budget. This is a woman who is steeped in experience I don't think she likes the limelight. I don't think she would do it, but I think she would make an excellent president.
2: All right. And do not miss former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz and Squawk Box tomorrow. That starts at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up, Apple down more than 30% from its recent highs and gears up for earnings tomorrow. But after the company's iPhone warning earlier this month, At least one trader thinks the worst is behind it. We've got all the details. And speaking of earning shockers, as more companies spook the street, Guy here has three ways to weather the warnings. He will break them down right after Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Apple in free fall since the October highs after a series of disappointing iPhone sales numbers and a gloomy revenue forecast to kick off 2019. The tech giant reports tomorrow after the bell and some traders think the worst could be behind it. Mike Coase in San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike.
3: Hi there. So Apple typically moves a little over 4% on earnings, or at least that's been the average over the course of the last eight quarters. That's pretty much what the options market is implying now, about 4.5%. And bullish bets outpace bearish ones today by about 20%, so modest optimism going into earnings. And where we saw some of the opening activity was in the February 1st weekly 157.5 calls. Those expire this coming Friday. They were spending about three bucks for those. So those are bullish bets that it's going to be above 160.5 or thereabouts by the end of the week. Now, they first started trading when the stock was lower today. They ended up closing on its highs, although it was lower on the day overall. So that represents a boost of about three percent from today's closing price.
2: Who, who would agree with this uh, particular options trader that the worst is behind Apple? I
5: think the setup works for Apple. They were the first in, when, this, uh-huh. when this whole slide started. So I think that the, the calendar, the setup works for them. So I would think that this, it should bounce in theory. They were the first in. They should be
4: the first out. Underperformed the S&P by 600 basis points year to date, and probably 10% since the lows. Um, it would be, a, to speak the obvious, these guys, if they have another guide for us, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. It's going to be a company that, first of all, was taken as, as gospel, everything that they said. They knew their business. They knew how to forecast their business. Um, so but
2: if they miss I, again, right? It, it, it's, it's, how it's, little trouble. clarity do the they risk have in their business? to this announcement has
4: never been greater, in, in my view.
2: Thank you mike for that options action check out the full show friday 5 30 pm eastern time and apple is far from the only company to sound the alarm and earnings take a look at some of the names who've lowered guidance this quarter ford fedex macy's constellation american airlines and of course NVIDIA today. But do not worry, do not worry, because Guy Adami is about to tell you how you should weather an earnings warning for a segment we like to call the more you know. Uh, can they play a little piano? Nice. Learning that I on should. the piano
9: actually
0: you know next to time. Do it on I do, the piano? Yeah, I do on on the it. And Next time
3: I'm gonna actually play it live on stage here at CNBC's Fast Money at the NASDAQ. Here you go, folks. Guy's guide to bad guidance. Number one. Percentage off the 52-week high or low. What does that mean? So how has the stock been trading? Are they warning as it makes a new 52-week high? Or is it warning as it's just made a new 52-week low? Why is that interesting? Because maybe if we've seen a trough, maybe that warning puts in a short-term bottom. Conversely, if we're around the top, maybe there's more room to fall. We've seen that a number of times. By the way, not least of which was Apple recently. Number two, past warning outcomes. How often has this company done this? Are they prone to give pre-announcement to the negative side? Are they prone to negative pre-announcements? Or is this the first time? I'd go back and look at the companies you're interested in to find out. And the last one is, is it a trade or an investment? Why do I mention that? Because if it's a trade, in my opinion, if it pre-announces and the stock goes lower, the first thing you do with the bad position is take some off. You don't add to it. Whereas an investment, maybe it's giving you an opportunity to buy some more at lower prices. But you can't be both. You're either a trader or an investor. You can't wear both caps. And I think I do have an example if the crack staff back in EC can put this up, but if you go back to October 8th, and Steve Grasso pointed this out to me, you saw PPG pre announced and the stock cratered down to this level. But this is a stock that had been going down for the prior six months. As it turned out, that pre-announcement gave you a good entry point on the long side, and you saw the subsequent bounce. Now, we have seen the stock trade back down, but for a trade, that was a great opportunity. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of trade and investment, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of where the stock is in terms of a 52-week high and a 52-week low.
5: So, Guy, when you say that uh, it could be a good setup or a bad setup, depending on whether it's declining or, or, or uh, ascending in stock price, how do you know when you just cut bait, period, and you say, you know what, this is the second time, because you use PPG as a,
3: an example, that was October 8th. Uh, what do you do with it now when it's repetitive? Yeah, that's, I think that's a great point. This is what I tell people, and hopefully this doesn't come off as glib. It's not meant to be. You trust your instinct. If your instinct says to get out, get out. We get ourselves in trouble in life when we fight against our instincts in every facet, especially trading.
2: All right. Thanks for that, guy. Still ahead, P. G&E up 70 percent, 70 percent in the last week. And conflicting reports of companies considering bankruptcy. But if you're thinking about buying the stock, you might want to listen to what the chairwoman has to say first. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. PG&E is up almost 70% in the last week in its bankruptcy battle as it deals with the fallout from California wildfires. The company receiving a $4 billion rescue plan. Investors behind it included Elliott Management. There are also reports of a second group, including Ken Griffin Citadel, that were working on a competing bid. This just days after the company was also deemed not responsible for a deadly wildfire in California in 2017. But with shares of PG&E still down over 70% from their 52-week highs, Karen here is issuing her own buyer beware on the stock. So why is it a no-touch? It's a no-touch because, first of all, it's an extremely complicated
6: situation, right? This is a potential bankruptcy that it's unlike a normal bankruptcy like a Toys R Us or something where there's just too much debt, but you can make some reasonable guess about what the business would be worth without all that debt. You have no idea here. Nobody has any idea yet what it's worth. Just because they said they weren't liable for uh, fire uh, wildfires two years ago, doesn't mean there isn't huge liability still out there, and it's of very uncertain size. So that's one. You read the headlines, oh, okay, this is interesting. Elliott and Citadel, it's a $4 billion convert. So they're going in debt. They're going in ahead of the equity, right? So if you're the equity, right, they're, gonna, they're probably going to be a lot smarter than you. Yeah. Probably. I've, certainly, they're going to be a lot smarter than I. The third thing is... When you look at the capital markets, you look at the debt markets, they're always ahead of the equity markets. They always understand better. So let's look at some very near maturity 2020 debt of PG&E. What's that showing? This is a utility. We should have that chart. There it is. Okay, so it's 100, 100, 100, right? And now, look, it's in the 80s. This is telling you be very afraid. Don't
2: touch. All right. Up next, final trades.
6: Tim.
4: Never leave your wingman, Alibaba. I was waiting for the picture.
5: Darren. Yes,
6: FedEx. Speed down it up. I <laughs> like it. Did you forget, Steve? Oh, geez,
3: staying long. Ouchie, MO
6: ahead of earnings this
3: week.
2: Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?